Good morning, welcome to MetroLife Church. My name is Chris, and you're about to watch me edit in real time. Would you turn in your Bible to Psalm chapter 78? I think that there's a, I think there's a capstone to the ministry time that we've just been encountering. And so uh, I know that there's some ladies, we're, we're going to skip that part today. We're going to skip that part today. Uh, we were going to read all 72 verses of Psalm 78, uh, but there's simply not time for that today. So we're going to just dive right into kind of the meat of it together. So if you would go to Psalm 78 verses... Uh, verses 34 through 39. 34 through 39. I know that there's a tremendous memory of this because I had to remind myself, but uh, Psalm 78 was the text for our Father's Day message. So I know that everybody remembers exactly how I preached. No, that's not true. Uh, I didn't even remember. I went back and reviewed my notes. And, and there is a key aspect of this psalm and the historical references captured in it to teach generations about the goodness of God. That's the context of this, this psalm. It's one of the longest historical psalms in the book of Psalm. And, and so it's one of those psalms that when you come across it, you think, well, if this were actually a song, it might have been written by Maverick City. And if you don't get that reference, maybe Led Zeppelin. That's a long song. It's one of those songs that seems to just continue to go on forever and ever. And, and, and so this morning, what do we do with a psalm that recounts so much history? What is that speaking to us as the people of God today? And then how do we connect that even to what God was just doing in our midst? Well, let's look at these passages together. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, we pray that you would continue to have your way in our midst even now as we look at these verses. Lord, we know that your word is living and active. So may it act on us today that we might live for your glory. We surrender ourselves, not just to your presence, but to your word spoken to us, for us, that we might live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. So what are some of the accounts that are captured for us? Well, there's a very purposeful history lesson in Psalm 78. And it's many of the verses that lead up to the ones that we're going to look at today. You have God's giving of the law. That's captured for us in, uh, in some of the opening verses. But it's really expounded on in Scripture in Exodus chapter 19 through 40. And so this passage has many connections to the rest of the Old Testament passage. There's references to God's parting of the sea, God's guidance through the wilderness, God's provision of water and food, God's judgment against sin, and his mercy toward his people. That's going to be a key part of what we look at today. God's signs and wonders against Egypt, God's victory over Israel's enemies, and provision of land for them to have a place, a home, a refuge from their enemies. Then there's God's rejection of his sinful people. And his choosing of David as king. That's some of the surrounding historical context to our passage today. So let's begin to read Psalm 78, verses 34 through 39. When he, actually, let's begin in 33. So he made their days vanish like a breath, and their years in terror. When he killed them, they sought him, they repented, and sought God earnestly. They remembered that God was their rock, the most high God, their redeemer. But they flattered him with their mouths. They lied to him with their tongues. 
Their heart was not steadfast toward him. They were not faithful to his covenant. Yet he, being compassionate, atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them. He restrained his anger often and did not stir up all of his wrath. You know, this passage reminds us that we are called to be motivated by the grace of God. Did you find yourself in that time of ministry this morning struggling to sing some of the words, struggling to have that sense of, I can move forward in faith that God will meet me in the place that he's calling me to? Perhaps you're one that says, I want to experience the peace of God. I want to know peace with God. But there is so much else in my life that feels unresolved. I don't know what to do with that. And here this passage actually draws our attention to something that is a key theme throughout Scripture. You're not the first to experience that thought. In redemptive history, you're not the first to struggle with that thought of, I don't know how to move forward in what God has called me to. In redemptive history, you're not the first one to have those sleepless nights where you're not sure that there will be a healthy or helpful resolution to the issues that you're facing, the circumstances that you're facing in life. In other words, you're not the first on the scene. If we put it in a broader context, we might say it this way, the way that we were instructed earlier in this passage to tell our children, life and history is not about you. Have you ever had that conversation with maybe a family member, maybe a teen in your house that life does not revolve around you? I had that conversation still with my wife when she reminds me, life does not revolve around you. Scripture reminds us that life and history does not revolve around us. We're not the first one on the scene. No, it actually revolves around God and his purposes. And yet we can struggle in these moments to see how it connects to the things that we're facing. But we're called to be motivated by grace. Now what happens when we forget the goodness of God? There's actually... A a warning in here, if you look at the two passages that we just read, verses 36 and 37, they flattered him with their mouths and lied to him with their tongues. Now, I'm not sure that anybody gathered here today intentionally walked in here and said, you know, I'm showing up just so that I look good before God so I can live the way that I want to the rest of the week. Nobody's necessarily explicitly saying that, but how many of us are falling into that trap? Even this morning, we're showing up here and and we're putting on a good front in front of everybody, but we're doing it to appease the way that we've lived the rest of the week. We've lived for ourselves. What happens to the people of God when that is the, the pattern of their life? Well, they become a cowardly people. That's what these passages reveal to us. There is a cowardly living that they begin to fall into the trap of. Now, nobody says, hey, I follow Jesus so I can be a coward for the king. Nobody lives that way. And yet, what we see is not just in this psalm that there's a cowardly living that comes out of that. Galatians chapter 2, verses 12 through 14 explicitly point to this for us. Galatians 2 says this. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with them. So even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. You know, our lives are telling a story about where our trust lies. Our lives are telling a story about what we rest in. Our lives are telling a story of what we believe is the foundation of them. And people 
are watching our lives. I have a question for you this morning. When people see your life, do they see a cowardly life before the king? What are some of the other concerns that would happen with the people of God? Well, they become discontented. They become where they're not content with the life that God has provided for them. They see all of the other things. I mean, the psalmist actually acknowledges at one point where he says, God, why do the, why do the unrighteous prosper? I know that there have been times where I've had to confess that to my wife. Babe, I'm struggling seeing this success that's happening because why do I seek to live this way? Why do I say I, I don't want to gain the whole world and lose my soul? Why do I have those types of constraints on my life when it looks like it's so much better on the other side? Maybe, I hope I'm not the only one that has that moment. What is that? That's a moment of discontent. That's, that's a warning. That's a stark warning in this passage for us. Don't be discontented. Hebrews 13.5 says it this way. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because Jesus has said this to you, I will never leave you or forsake you. Powerful words for us today. And this is where we begin to realize that the life that we are called to, it actually exposes something that's happening in our heart, where we may be cowardly, where we may be discontented, and yet it motivates us by the grace of God and how he provides for us when he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. What else might happen in the Christian life? Well, there might be an embarrassment of your Christian testimony or witness. I'm talking about something that goes beyond just this, I need a Savior. I'm sinful. No, there's an embarrassment of the life that we're called to live. Psalm 78 is, is, is the psalmist Asaph saying, don't be embarrassed by the covenant that's been provided for you. Paul in, in Romans chapter 1 would say it this way, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to anyone who believes. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's powerful. How often do we live our lives embarrassed of what feels like a weak and whimpering gospel? And how often is that actually exposing our understanding of the depth and breadth and length and height of it? What else may happen if we, seeking to be motivated by grace, don't remember the good news of the gospel well? Well, we can create idols of other things. Paul, again in Romans, says it this way, Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. You know, a concern that I have in, in the church today, I mean our church, is that we can think of the name above all other names as if those other names have some sort of weight and power to them as well. In other words, we throw God into the mix of all the other gods that we bow down to the rest of the week. Maybe I can put it this way. That, yes, God is the primary, but he's not the solitary. And we begin to create these other idols along the way that well, they feel more powerful at times. They feel like they provide a comfort for us. They feel more reliable. They seem like they're there for us. And we ignore those promises of God that he will never leave or forsake. In other words, I'm not calling us to be a people that only declare that he is the name above all other names. How about we just say it this way, his is the only name. 
And when we begin to forget, when we don't remember well the promises of God, the faithfulness of God from the past, we can easily become an idolatrous people. Now, I don't know any church that's going to put on their website, chief idol is God. And yet in the culture of the church, we may begin to realize that there are a lot of other gods that seem to have a lot of sway on people's lives. Metro Life Church. No king, but the King Jesus in our lives. That's a call for us today. There's a call in this psalm to, to wake up a sleeping people of God. And so this morning, let us be awake and aware of the schemes of the enemy that we would cower in the presence of troubles, that we would be discontented with the life that God has so richly provided for us, that we would be embarrassed by the power or seeming lack thereof of our king, and that we would have any sense that we have to create other idols to follow after because the one true king doesn't always quite seem like enough. Church, let's be awake and motivated by the grace of God. Now, you've heard me say that phrase a couple of different times. What do I mean by being motivated by the grace of God? Well, look at who God is in response to the fickle nature of the faith of the hearts of his people. They flattered him with their mouths, lied to him with their tongues. Their heart wasn't steadfast or faithful to his covenant, yet he being what? Compassionate toward them. He shows us compassion in the midst of of his covenant warnings and covenant blessings. He shows us compassion because he remembers that we are created beings. And he does not destroy us. But let's look at this wonderful phrase. Look at verse 38 with me. He atoned for their iniquity. In other words, we receive these warnings And we receive the payment in full so that we don't have to live surrendered to the things we're being warned about. He atones for our iniquity. He is the one who provides for us. We see all of these reflections on the deliverance of God in the past. We see the the generous sustenance that he gives us for the present. And we see the, the vindication and this future hope that we have in Jesus Christ. But at the center of this passage is the central message of the heart of God. Being compassionate, he atones for our iniquity. This is the key to understand this passage. This is the key to understand being motivated by the grace of God. Because he has laid down his life for us. Romans 3, 25 says it this way. God put Christ forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Showing God's righteousness. John, 1 John 2, 2 says it this way. He is the propitiation for our sin. And not only ours, but also for the sin of the whole world. And you may say, propitiation sounds great. What is it? Well, propitiation is the act of appeasing wrath and garnering favor for the offended party. Psalm seventy-eight thirty-eight. Yet he being compassionate... He's the offended party, atoned for their iniquity, and he pays the price. 
He alone is the one who we offend with our cowardice, with our embarrassment, with our discontent, with our lack of faith. And Christ has come as our propitiation. See, because of God's righteousness, because of his holiness, our sins have to be atoned for. And Christ so richly provides. His death is the satisfaction against our iniquity. And it demonstrates God's love towards sinners. It demonstrates his compassion. And it demonstrates the payment that is needed for the penalty of sins. You know, those who cry out for justice, and it's a right cry. Oh, how we find such wanting systems in this world, don't we? And there's a future vindication that this, this psalm promises to us. But it helps comfort us today as well, doesn't it? When life doesn't seem like it provides richly. When it does seem like we should cower back in our faith. When it does seem as if we're coming in here on Sundays and just going through the motion of singing and it calls us to wake up to that, that moment and say, wake up and do not give in to that. This is exposing something about what's going on in your heart. And it invites us, motivated by the grace of God, not motivated by our own efforts, not anything that we're going to do or put on for ourselves. Even when we say, remember and to confess and repent before the Lord, that's a response to the grace of God being poured out on us. Because there's nothing in this Psalms that says we earn that favor. Everything in this psalm says that favor is a part of the character of the one who is the offended party. It releases us from any sense of our ability to accomplish anything. But it doesn't kick us into neutral in our life. It motivates us by the grace of God to respond to who he is. You know, I think about practical steps for this. And we had such a wonderful ministry time this morning. And I'm going to invite the band to come out and as we prepare to close out the service today. Think about practical steps for this. What, what does it look like practically to respond to the faith that we've been called to move forward in the things of God this morning? What does it look like practically to respond to say, I, I want to begin to move toward where God is calling me to. I want to begin to see his faithfulness and let that be something that informs my action for his glory. I want to begin to respond in a way that says, I'm not going to turn to these other gods. I'm not going to fall into these traps that we're warned against in Scripture. But what does it look like to practically live that out throughout the rest of the week? Certainly, it means regular time of worship with other believers. This gathering church is important for our soul and for our perspective and for our vision. Can I say this? Without it coming across as demeaning, I guess you'll have to let me know after I say it, won't you? I told you I'm editing in real time. That, all right. How easy is it for us to have an, an encounter with God like what we had this morning? And think that that's going to be enough to continue to live for his glory if it's another six weeks before we're ever in this church again. Yeah, attendance matters. Attendance matters. 
And it's not because we look at numbers. It's because God looks at your heart. And he says, I want all of that. He's not as interested in your words this morning. He's interested in your heart this morning. He's interested in your heart every day. I think about our community groups that are beginning to ramp up, and we're going to be announcing in the weeks to come that the that registration opens for the fall term for our community groups. I think about the importance of being in community with other people, gathering with those who, who have that same heart, who have that same vision and purpose that we are all called to as a people of God. I think about the importance of being in community with other believers, starting that in your own homes, reading and studying, memorizing God's word together, praying and singing psalms together. We're not talking about like many sermons throughout the week all over Castleberry. We're talking about just getting together and looking at the goodness of God to remember well his faithfulness to us. Why? So that we can live our lives in a way that is faithful to him as a fruit of the spirit cultivating our lives. Your participation in community group matters. What does it look like for us to take difficult concepts about atonement and propitiation and actually make that something that means something in our lives? I hope that we've modeled that for you today. We're not talking about exhaustive, exegetical study. We're talking about having our hearts shepherded by the good shepherd toward his glory and toward living for him in the truth and the love that he so richly provides for us. You know, the goal of worshiping alongside others is to bring glory to God. But it's also to produce joy in your heart. Did you enjoy that ministry time together? Do you know that's available to you 24 hours a day, seven days a week? And it's not through our live stream prayer meeting. It's through the presence of God wherever you are. Be just desperate enough, church, to always turn to him. And he will produce joy in those moments through his presence. It's available to you. Do you realize the effect that that can have on the world around us? The people who are in the midst of difficulty experiencing joy, there's a testimony that goes beyond circumstances. It, it, it goes well above the timeline of history. It helps remind us that everything that we face in this life is about his glory. It helps to remind us that we're not the first on the scene, that history is not all about us, that history is all about God. And we can be a part of telling the story of his glory and his faithfulness. And what a privilege to be able to do so. Why? Because we've experienced something that is so glorious it's hard to describe and it's called his favor church that's available to us today when I think about the patience of God we're reminded in this passage that God is slow to anger both Ezekiel and Romans say that God as our father says this I take no pleasure in the death of anyone repent and find life abundant And it's only because he bears with us patiently, never fully giving anyone what they deserve when they deserve it, that anyone can be saved at all. 
And we read in this passage that he remembers that we're just flesh in verse 39. We can almost hear the echoes of Jesus looking at his disciples, falling asleep in Gethsemane in his hour of greatest need and saying, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. See, Jesus knew in that moment his disciples would be faithless, but even then he offers them hope and forgiveness and restoration. The death that the disciples unfaithfulness brought upon Jesus was also the death for their forgiveness of sins. The death that Jesus dies for our not being faithful to him is the same death that provides forgiveness of sins. What a Savior.